There's this thing that my dad used to make when we were little and it's my go-to. So mashed potatoes and then to make it really rich and creamy, I always add a couple of tablespoons of mayonnaise because you get, the, oh my goodness, mayonnaise in mash is just like, do it. Put mayonnaise in your mash, it is out of this world. It takes it to somewhere completely new. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jim Hatmaker. You guys, today we're dishing with great British baking show alum, Nadia Hussain. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your happy host of the For the Love podcast. Oh guys, welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm tickled that you're here today. You're going to be too. We're in the middle of a series called For the Love of Food. Insert all my obvious feelings about food. Food, food people, kitchens, tables, recipes. I love it all. I really love it all. So this whole series is right exactly in my wheelhouse. But today you guys are going to be really tickled about my guest and what a freaking delight she is. Let's talk about this real quick. I know that for a lot of you, baking, like baking, will take you immediately to a happy place. I know there's a ton of you out there. This is what you do. This is what you're good at flipping the oven on, getting your hands into a bowl of dough. It's like therapy. It's like self-care, even meditation sometimes, right? It uses a lot of your senses. It's delicious. You get an incredible homemade treat at the end of it. It's something to do with your family, with your kids. I get it. Like I get it. Whether or not you are an accomplished baker or not, it does not matter because my guest today is someone who's not only a master baker, but a master at using her baking and her sparkling personality, to be honest with you, to show love to her family, to her friends, and to us, because we get to watch her and read her cookbooks. I am so thrilled to have on the show today, the one and only Nadia Hussein. Listen, listen, if you're a great British bake-off watcher, then you know, you know, you know that Nadia's human sunshine, one of the most talented bakers out there. She won season six of the show. And by the way, if you've never seen Bake Off, then the very minute you are done with this podcast, literally run to Netflix. I'm not kidding. The amount of people in my life that love Bake Off runs the gamut. Like, and it's not all food. You don't have to love food and cooking. I don't even know what to say. If you're new to it, just please trust me. And you can tell me later, Jen, you were right. And then when you're done with Bake Off, go watch Nadia's brand new Netflix show called Nadia Bakes, where she not only shows off her excellent baking skills, but shares in a really manageable way all the recipes while literally being kind of the Mary Poppins of baking. She really is practically perfect in every way. I'm not kidding. So as if she was not busy enough filming these wonderful shows for us or writing cookbooks like Time to Eat and her latest that is coming out in the U.S. this summer, I just mentioned it called Nadia Bakes, but you can already watch that on Netflix now. She is a wife and a mom of three incredible kids. We're going to talk about them too. She is lovely. I loved this conversation with her. I wanted it to go on and on and on. She's exactly what you would hope for, for those of you who are big Nadia fans. And so delighted to share my conversation with the very wonderful Nadia Hussain. Nadia, welcome to the For the Love podcast. I speak for me 
and my whole listening community. We are absolutely delighted that you're on the show. Delighted. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, we love you. So let's start here. I don't have to tell you this, obviously, but this past year has been a real doozy. It has been a year, a year that has never ended. So let me ask you this, Nadia, for my listeners who are fascinated with you and also for those who are learning about you just today, can you talk a little bit about your history with food? Because I noticed that a lot of food people, we come to the table from very different spaces. Some of us grew up with it. Some of us have like brilliant moms and grandmas and aunts who cooked for us. Some of us were self-taught. It's not one story. Was food and cooking a big part of your family life? How did you get to where you are? Well, if I go back as far as I can remember, I grew up with a amazing grandma. We, I mean, I was raised by my mom, my dad, and my grandma. I had a, two siblings that were very poorly. So we spent a lot of time with my grandma and she had a hand in raising us. So I spent a lot of time watching my grandma cook, but they're very no fuss cooks, you know, like they get in, they cook, they get out. They don't do it for love. They do it because it's necessity. Yeah, it's necessity and it's to feed the family. There's a job to be done and that's what they do. And so mum, again, amazing cook, you know, she, when I say family, I mean, I'm one of six, but when we have the extended family, when we used to have the extended family around as kids, you know, that was like 50 something people in a small terraced house. So eating, cooking, being together in the kitchen was very much a part of growing up, whether it was at my house or at a relative's house. It was very much very food focused and all very Bangladesh, traditional Bangladeshi stovetop recipes. And then my dad ran restaurants his whole life. So I was used to being between our home kitchen and the stainless steel kitchen at the back of a restaurant. So the kind of the noise and the buzz of being in, in a working kitchen, I was used to that, whether it was me just sat in a corner on a bucket peeling garlic or whether it was me helping to wash the dishes or whether it was me trying to take orders, you know, whatever it was, I kind of went that was my world. We were between those two. For me, it was between those two worlds. But, you know, growing up, I was never encouraged to cook by my mom. She never said you had to cook because for her, it was necessity. And she hated being in the kitchen. She was great at it, but she was in there so much that she just kind of wanted to get the job done and get out. So she just said, whatever you do, never cook. She said, don't make cooking your living. So you know, <laughs> once I said to my mom, I think I'm going to be a chef. And she just said, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. You just cook for your kids and that's it. But my dad's quite experimental and quite adventurous in the kitchen. And so he would be using weird combinations and mucking around in the kitchen, which I absolutely loved. Growing up in a immigrant household, I kind of went from eating British food to cooking Bangladeshi food and eating Bangladeshi food at home. So I suppose somewhere in between all of that, I became quite used to that kind of fusing the two cultures together but baking really never happened for me and that's I suppose that's what I'm best known for is winning Bake Off in 2015 and baking never really came to me till much later in life because I never realized that you know because my parents didn't bake it was always stovetop never in the anything in there. and my mom funny thing is my mom used to store her frying pans in the oven because she never used it. And, and I felt completely betrayed by her when I was in home ec at school, when I was doing food studies and the teacher makes this cake and she pops it into the oven. And I was looking at her like she was mad. And I said, hold on a second, that's the cupboard. And she's like, hold on a second, 
plastic oven. So she looked at me like I was completely alien. And I looked at her like she was an alien. And then I went home and I ripped everything out of my mom's oven. And I said, you've been lying to me this whole time. And she said, no, I just didn't tell you. You didn't know. So oh, that's great. I never baked. So I, I didn't then bake till I was in my 20s when I got married, got, you know, had my own house and my kid, my son. And, you know, I had my own space. And so I was kind of in control for the first time as a young adult. And I didn't have a mom telling me that I couldn't use up the eggs or I couldn't in the kitchen and I found freedom and I suppose for me I found freedom in baking for the first time in my life and and sort of 10 years later I honed in on this skill that I hadn't realized would ultimately lead me here today I mean I'll say you made a good choice let's just go ahead and say you reached for the right oven so I, I want to talk about the show a little bit the world largely got to know you after your time on Great British Bake Off it's everybody's favorite show in the world. I don't have a friend or a person in my, in my entire environment who does not absolutely love the show. So can you just, I know you've talked about it a ton, but we're dying with curiosity. Can you tell us about your time in the tent? What was your experience like? What did we not see? How did your confidence change as the weeks went on and you just kept making it, making it, making yeah. it? I didn't enter Bake Off off my own back it wasn't something that I wanted to ever do and it was one of the shows that we would watch I never wanted to do it and really what yeah never the thought had never crossed my mind never just wouldn't have the confidence to do something I didn't ever have the confidence to I mean I didn't even know I didn't have the confidence because I never even toyed with the idea of ever doing anything like it so I would my husband like as husbands do as like he was he would watch it with me really he didn't want to watch it he didn't want to be there because he didn't get to eat any of the cakes he was like this is dull because we watch make cake but we don't get to eat any of it and he would sit there and say oh you could do that or you've made that but yours is better or and he would make comments like passing comments didn't think anything of it and in 2014 when the applicant at the end of the series where they say you can apply my husband obviously got the idea then and he did the online application, but couldn't fill in the technical bits like baking knowledge. Sure, sure. You know, he just said, so I've done this thing and the deadline's in two days. Please just do it. Humor me. Go on, humor me. No and way. I said, Absolutely no way. And, and his reasoning behind it was sweet, yet completely ridiculous. <laughs> sure. I suffer, I, at the time I was suffering with anxiety and um, I was struggling with my mental health. And he just said, I think you need to do something for you because you've spent a decade just looking after us. And I just think that you need to do something for yourself. And that was his reasoning. Ridiculous, really, because with somebody who's suffering with mental health issues, you don't put them on the biggest baking show. Sure. Full of pressure and competition and cameras. And right, right. Wouldn't be my first reach. That was exactly. It's like call a doctor. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, so take up jogging. I don't know. I don't know. Get a yeah. pet, anything. Yes. yes. He decided that that's what we should do, and he just said, "I think you should do it." And I kind of said, "No, I'm not doing it." And he said, "Go on, humor me. Just do it." And like five years later, I'm just saying he spends a lot of time with the kids, so I definitely got the last <laughs> laugh. Definitely got the last laugh. Absolutely. But one of the things with the show is like, and, and I think lots of people watched it and, and kind of came on that journey with me because I went from being really nervous 
kind of slowly growing and I could see myself growing in the show. I didn't at the time, I didn't see it at the time, but when I've watched it back, I've seen myself grow gently, slowly. And anyone who, who knows me knows that whenever I wear, I would pretty much always wear, now I wear much more bright colours, but back then I would only wear a black scarf and my scarf reflected my mood. And there was one week where I wore a green scarf and everyone was like, oh, oh, she's feeling good. So I always look at that point. And yeah, so I think lots of people went on that journey with me. And one thing loads of people don't see, you asked me, you said, is there anything that you can tell us that happens behind the scenes? One thing nobody sees, there are these, I call them, they're like, they're the 10 elves. And they kind of, they're on their hands and knees because you can't see them because there's like space that they can film and this space that you cannot be in and so the dead space where you can be there are little employees tent elves that walk around and they kind of like they're on their knees asking you do you need this pan anymore if not can I take it to the back to wash it and you're like yep okay and they kind of crawl around and take the dishes and they ask you do you want a tea or do you want a coffee and it's like they oh, see you you. it's so cool <laughs> you don't have time for tea or coffee you're just too stressed but sure that's what nobody sees is the little elves that help you to keep things tidy and give you tea and coffee oh my word I just I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and think about that first week I mean it must have already been shocking to even be chosen for the show. I mean, there's so many applicants. And then, especially if you kind of thought, whatever, I'll humor my husband, I'll fill it out, I'll send it in, nothing will even come of it, it's fine. Then boom, you're on the show. Then boom, there's all these cameras, it's real, it's happening. That first week, did you just think, I'm gonna throw up? It was horrendous. I cannot imagine. Oh, Mm -hmm. because you become quite, once you go through the interview process, and the interview process is something like six months long, it's really long really long lots of traveling with cakes and bakes as if that's not stressful enough where you have to traveling with cake is the worst thing I can't even think of what that means I my brain has no concept of this no so you know when I make a cake for someone and just the transporting it from a to b is stressful enough but there's lots of interview processes really really long so there's that moment where you see all the cameras and all the people and all the kind of bells and whistles that go with making television. But there is a point, and I don't know when exactly that was. It's probably from the moment they say ready, steady, bake. I didn't think that I would be so determined. And I think what I, that's something I learned about myself was that I'm quite competitive and I'm not competitive with people around me. It's competition with myself. It's like, am I always doing the best that I can do? Am I always being the best that I can be? And I think every time they said, ready, steady, bake, I was like, oh God, time to be the best. You know, like that was my moment. At that moment, when you're so engrossed in baking, you actually forget that there are four cameras on you or that you're midway through a bake at a crucial point and somebody's asking you questions and you're like, just seriously, leave me alone. I hate you now don't talk to me you're just like why are you talking to me right now when really you're you're trying to talk but your concentration is totally on the oven so yeah I think there's a moment of naivety where you forget about the cameras and then it's that moment when you finish filming that you realize that everyone's going to watch it yes and also what did I even say what did I say what did I do I don't remember it's a fever dream of, I don't even remember a second of it. When you were on Bake Off, was there a particular task, you know, an assignment, a baking assignment where you thought like, I really don't know if I can do this. I do not know if I can do this one. I don't have, 
this experience. Or I don't know how to do this. And then you just, you pulled it off in a way you were like, wow, that went way better than I thought it was going to go. And super, super proud of that moment. Yeah, I, there was this moment when I was really bad at the technical challenges. There was this one, so I was doing really badly in the technicals and I thought, oh, this is just how I'm making it through, I don't know. And there was a week where we made gluten-free pita bread and I recognized an ingredient, which is psyllium husk, which they put in the gluten-free. And I was like, why do I recognize this? And I remember it's because I used to mix up that gloop for my dad for, his, for good digestive health. Anyway, but I, I don't want to be on here talking about my dad's digestion. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't want you to either. No, exactly. Yeah. That's no fun. But I remember looking at the ingredient for the first time. I was like, oh, I recognize this ingredient. And that was nice. I was like, and that gave me a little boost of confidence because nobody else did. And I was like, oh, I know what this is. And I made these pita breads that were baked and puffy, perfectly shaped with a little pocket in the middle. And I got first in technical and that first week and I was like, oh, and that gave me the tiny little kind of little push, the little kind of push of encouragement that I needed. But that all came crashing down in pastry week because it was just hideous. Oh my gosh. And you know, when us as watchers, when we watch it, we, we are in the tent. I'm there. I'm hot or cold, whichever one it is. I'm stressed. I wish they'd stop talking to you in the middle of your work. I just want to tell the host, get away from her. Get away from her. She's sweating. She's str- her, the thing didn't rise. The crust fell apart. Leave her the freak alone right now. It takes us with you in this very magical way. I find it really consuming, even as a viewer. Even now, I completely am consumed and totally on that journey with them. Like, I, it's, yeah. Yes, I am there and I am heartbroken and I am thrilled. It's so clever the way that that show is both designed and produced and it's a gentle version of competition that still makes me feel violently competitive and nervous and anxious with everybody. It's so fun. I just I just have to hear from you what it felt like to win the thing. I mean, can you believe it? You barely even applied. You barely even did it. Your husband made you do it. And then you won the thing. I just, did you just want to burst out laughing? Yeah. It does make me laugh even now. I find it absolutely hilarious when I hear it out loud because loads of people ask me all the time, like, did you know you were going to win? And it's like, no, because no, I didn't. And I always get asked lots of questions. Was there any prize money? Did you know you were going to win? And also did you write that speech? the bit at the end and I was like no 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 to all of those no but yeah you just can't I I mean if can you imagine like us having this conversation and like I can see how emotionally invested you are in the show because that's exactly what happens and you do you become emotionally invested in your bakes in the people that you end up with and as the tent gets bigger and the contestants we lose the contestants and the group gets smaller you become more invested in your friendships right up to the end and I, and there's so much of that that I was like at the end you could hear a pin drop in that tent because we were all so nervous but we were also willing each other on so much we wanted like if all three of us could have won and walked away we would have been really happy but we we were so emotionally invested in each other that winning didn't even come into it and so I remember the first two bakes I did really really well and 
we got down to the restaurant and we were in the hotel and we were having dinner together and we all just sat there really quietly and we didn't want to say it because we knew that if I'd done well in that last bake that I would get it and also we knew we were very aware of the fact that it's all very short-lived so you could have one really good bake and one really good day but you could have a disastrous bake the next day and that's it you, you you're out of the running completely so we were all three of us were well aware of that and also we were really we're really good friends and we'd spent so much time together and that was for me at the end I remember being completely just in this bubble when all three of us were Tamal and Ian and I were stood there at the end and we were holding hands all I could think was better put these shoes in the wash because there's icing sugar all over them that's all I could think that's your thought yeah no I did my thoughts didn't go to winning and then that was that moment and I heard my name and I remember just kind of hiding like this I remember hiding and then looking up and then somebody said Paul came up to me and gave me the trophy and I said are you sure you haven't made a mistake are you sure you don't want to give it to Tamal or Ian and he said nobody has ever asked me that he said no it's yours you've won and so I remember kind of being completely shocked by it and then somebody said you made Mary cry. And I was like, like, I shouldn't even be proud of that. I shouldn't even be proud of that. But secretly, I am just a tiny bit. Of course you are. She's immovable. Uh. And she came up to me and she was like wiping my tears away. It was just, she's the loveliest human in the Uh, whole world. I love to hear that. And I love that you just got to look into Paul's dreamy eyes and take your award What's the going on with his eyes? God, they're very blue. They they're are. so blue. Very it's just blue. unbelievable. It's not my type. It's not my type. <laughs> He's someone's type, just not mine. He's someone's type. You could just look at it from afar and be like, yeah. somebody would like that. Yeah, somebody yeah. would think that was handsome. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. There's a ton of us out here. We're <laughs> like, they're so pretty. What was your favorite game when you were a kid? I can sure think of a few. I would sit at my grandma's table for hours with her and my grandpa King and play dominoes, specifically chicken foot, excuse me, represent. Well, guess what? It's 100% okay to play games as an adult. I still love them. And I'll tell you one of my favorites. It's called Best Fiends. Okay, so Best Fiends is a super fun puzzle game. And there's really nothing else like it out there. I can I can hop in there for a bit and a different part of my brain switches on as I'm solving these puzzles. I love using that side of my brain. Plus, they're adding more levels and challenges all the time so it stays fresh and new. I'm actually obsessed. So engage your brain with fun puzzles. And trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this mobile puzzle game with a five-star rating is a must-play. You'll be really, really happy that you get it. So download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So that's like friends without the R. Best Fiends. Do you know what's saving my life right now? (laughs) Making time to talk to my counselor. I'm serious. I mean, even when it feels hard, even when I don't want to some weeks, I always feel better. After I take an hour and talk to her about how to move forward, you can start making time to talk to a counselor today too with my sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp matches you with a counselor and you can send them a message anytime and get a really timely and thoughtful response back. Plus you can schedule weekly 
video or phone sessions with your counselor, and you never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to getting you the help that you need. So they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. I want you to start living a happier, healthier life today. So as my listener, you can get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash for the love. So join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. So you have the greatest, happiest cooking show now I have ever seen. I really do love everything about Nadia Bakes. I was watching it last week with my mom. We were both just like, we love her. Like, we just love her. They picked the right girl to hand this show to. Oh, all say of it, hi though. to your mom for me. Say hi to your mom. She'll be, I can't. This is going to be insane. She'll freak out. Like, just all of it. The, the food, the music, your spirit, your nails. Everything about it is just pitch perfect. And so I'd love to hear you talk about the show a little bit, how that came to be. How much control do you have over the show? Did you have your own ideas? Did you come and say, this is what I want it to look like? This is what I don't want it to look like? You know, because there's a template. There's a food show template. I am assuming some of the networks want to say, let's just plug this in. It's a tried and true formula. So did you come to the table and say, if I'm going to do this, and by the way, how did that come about? I want to hear that. This is what I'd like it to look like, feel like, be like. Yeah, I I think it's a work in progress because, you know, I've only been working in this industry for six years and it's taken me some time to find the confidence to say, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. It's not so easy when you don't know the industry hasn't always been easy just to go in and say, this is what I want, this is what I like. Because the truth is I had to have my, I have to quite often have my hands held and guided and and know my options. I feel so fortunate. The, the, The end goal was never a career. The end goal was never to come away from this with a job, let alone a career. And so, you know, and I think it's safe to say that I have a career in the food industry now. So it was never my intention. But when I, when I got these opportunities to do my first cookery show, which I mean, this is my third one, the one that you guys have seen. And so like the one, uh, so I've done previous, so I've done previous cookery shows, and they were all a kind of a working progress for me. So it took me a while to learn what I like, what I don't. And, you know, you've got to be bad to be good. So, you know, I had to make mistakes to learn. So there were things that I did previously that I was like, no, that's not me. That's not who I want to be. Like what? What did you discover? This is a thing that I don't love. Just things like what we have on set, how the set is, you know, the kitchen, how it's decorated and how I would have it in my own home because we film in different locations all the time. So we've got the luxury of changing it up how I want to change it up. And so I am all over sort of colors, prints, and it has to be things that I would have in my own home. In fact, some of the stuff that goes on to kitchen sets are things that come from my kitchen, uh, whether it's my egg baskets or my mugs or my tea towels, they will all come and there's bits, family heirlooms and things that I like to put into the kitchen. So for me, that's really important you know that's that's a really big part of the overall kind of end result and also things like simple things like my nails simple things like my clothes they matter to me because for me you know when I'm happy I wear bright colorful clothes and they are an expression of who I am everything I cook 
from what I cook to the set to what I wear is an expression of who I am. And I want people, whether they are comfortable in the kitchen, whether they're a novice cook, whether they're expert cooks, when they watch the show, I want them to smile. I want it to make them happy. And I have to say, I watch it back and it makes me smile because often I cringe watching myself on telly, but when I get the odd glimpse and I watch it back and I see my kids smiling and I smile, I'm like, this is it. This is what it's all about. And it is so important to me because, you know, growing up in a immigrant household, I never watched somebody like me on mainstream television. And I also understand the importance of doing something like that because there are little versions of me all around the country, all around the world, who will see me and say, hey, this is normal. This is okay. And this is, we can occupy that space. And that's really important to me too, as much as the food and the color and making people happy. That's really special. Do you hear from girls and women who say, oh, you are representing me now? in network space and you are that representation matters and it must feel like a special responsibility to be the one to kind of be out front and say, look, this is so possible. This is possible for, for you, for anybody. I I actually love that. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled at your success for a million reasons, but that's a big one. Yeah. That's that's, a huge one. It's a big responsibility to be called a role model is a big responsibility. And I don't often say that word, just like, I don't, I never, I don't let it just roll off my tongue because I understand the responsibility of being a role model. Because when I had my children, my aim in life ultimately was just to be a good role model to my children and my nephews and nieces. But that role has extended somewhat now. You know, I love doing my job and I love cooking and I love baking. I love the fact that I have this platform in which to share all of these recipes. But, you know, Six years later, you know, if you spoke to me about being a first generation British growing up in an immigrant house and spoke to me about representation, I wouldn't have been as comfortable to talk about. I would not have been as comfortable talking about it because for me, I wanted to be able to just be good at my craft and just be good at what I do. But I understand the responsibility that I have because I know growing up, I never saw anyone like me on television. That for me was like a massive shift for me. And I understand the responsibility now. And it does weigh heavy on me because it it is tough. And and, and my little shoulders can't always kind of take that weight. But in those days where I feel really down and I question why I'm doing it, I have to, it's a question I've asked myself since I was a little girl was, if I don't see me, do I exist? And that is a question lots of people, lots of women, children, immigrants, they will look at publishing, television, workspaces and say, if I don't see myself in this space, do I even exist? And it's time we existed. I think it's time we said out loud and proud that we are here, we exist and we're just like everybody else and we can have fun and we can we can enjoy being in the kitchen just like anyone else. And I think that to create that space and totally make it normal for someone like me to be on television makes my job much bigger than just a job, much bigger than just a career. It's about representation and being the right role model. Well said and well done. And you are a wonderful role model. I can only imagine how many girls aspire to have new aspirations simply by virtue of seeing somebody like you in the spotlight, wildly successful and having fun. It's great. The possibility is endless. It's fantastic. I'm curious, as you moved from a competition show, a competition bake-off, which is its own brand, it's got its own rhythms. And then you move into cooking shows where you're the person. Totally different deal. 
having a different relationship to the camera, to the audience. You're now the guide. You are the leader. What did you find like immediately? What was harder than you thought about transitioning from being one competitor among many where you're not the host to now you are the main person in more of an instruction sort of format? What, what did you love the most? And then what was like, whoa, that took a lot of practice to get right. One thing I learned was the first thing, the very first thing I learned was and realized very quickly was there's nowhere to hide. God, there isn't, is there? So to have all that attention on me is really scary. And what I found really helped very early on was to watch myself back. I could see very early on when I started filming, like I was suppressing my sense of humor. I was suppressing who I was because I felt like there needed to be this very instructional kind of, although I, I've always had fun. I found like I was always suppressing the fun and I was always kind of suppressing even the color. If you look at like my very early shows and these shows now, like they've changed so much because I've taken control over that because for me, that's really a big part. And for me, I think growing up within a community where kind of having a voice and suppressing your feelings and emotions was a big part of being raised within that community. I found myself doing that quite a lot, questioning myself and suppressing these emotions and suppressing my need to be fun and, and, you know, like just being myself. And I realized that, you know, I can be multidimensional. I don't have to be one dimensional. I don't have to be what everybody thinks I should be. And there was a switch in my head after watching some of it back saying, just be yourself. And genuinely in that moment when I was able to be myself, I got the best out of myself. I got the best out of the recipe. And I, I always feel like when I'm talking to camera, I'm talking to the person watching. And I hope that shows. I really hope that shows. Yeah. It's like you just stepped into what you were meant to do. I can't only imagine the incredible, the hard work that's gone into it, the learning curve, the starts and stops, the kind of recalibrations, but to see you now at this place, it's, I can't imagine what else you would be doing. This is it. You as you are in your lane, you are doing it so beautifully and so well. And it shows, it seems like you're having fun. It seems like you love it. I do. I think now sort of six years later, the, I think the reason why I'm even more comfortable is that I'm not shy to say, no, that's not going in. No, take that out. This is what we're doing this is how it's happening. This is what I'm saying. So I think having that control has meant that I'm able to be myself fully. And uh, my husband always laughs and he says, you are literally that goofball at home. Perfect. That's a nice compliment, isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah, I like now it. I am who I am. Yeah. That's just, there's not like a camera, Nadia and a home, Nadia. It's just, this is who you are. That has enough gas in the tank for the long haul right? If you were having to manufacture a personality or be a certain way that wasn't really true to who you were, I can only imagine how exhausting that that would just, yeah, that's too hard. That's too much hard work. Like that's, that's really exhausting that is. And I couldn't, I just couldn't do that. And it's lovely because as we've had new members in the family, like when my brother got married, like before my brother got married, I was just Nadia off the telly to her. And then he got married and he's like, and she, when she said to me, oh my gosh, you're just like that. You're just like that. You're just exactly the same. I was like, thank you. That's all I need. Like for me, as when my sister-in-law said that to me, I was like, okay, now I'm happy because I am genuinely the person. And, and, you know, I meet loads of people when I'm out and they always say, oh, you're just like 
how you're on telly. And I, and that to me is a compliment. Yeah. Oh, you just couldn't hear anything better than that. I want to switch real quick before we wrap it up to talk kind of about Naughty at Home. You have three beautiful kids. What are you hoping for them as they're kind of watching you? I mean, you've done all this on their watch. You were just mom and now you belong to the rest of us. You have had an incredible arc that is special, not common. So what are you hoping that they take away from watching you flourish, from watching your star rise? Because they're, I know it doesn't feel like it, but you just don't have much time left with them. They're almost there. You know, you're four or five years away from launching a couple of them, which goes away this fast. I mean, you know, it's so quick. And so what are you hoping that they walk away with and say, here's what I learned from watching my mom? Hmm. See, I, we had a really funny conversation and we were sat at the dinner table and my little girl is, she sings and she acts and she's into musical theater and she's done a few bits. And so we were sat at the dinner table and I was talking about work and my kids, my boys said, gosh, dad, the men are the bums in this house. The women are so successful in this house. (laughs) That's hilarious. And that really made me laugh. And I said, guys, you're not bums, maybe just a little bit, but you're not that bad. But they make me laugh, my kids do, because you just never know whether you're doing it right or whether you're doing it wrong. You know, as parents, we're constantly questioning what we're doing. And we have a firm rule in our house. We kind of say, we're getting it wrong together. They get it wrong. I get it wrong. And we kind of, this is the first time we're ever going to do this. First and last time I'm going to be a parent and first and last time they're ever going to be children. And somewhere in between getting it wrong, we're going to get it right and meet in the middle together. And so I suppose just taking away that responsibility of trying to get everything right has really helped in my career with my children over the last five years. And somebody once said to me, as they get older, they need you less. And I'm finding that to be completely untrue. As they get older, they need you so much more. It's more than just feeding them and playing with them and getting them to bed on time. It's bigger than that. But in answer to your question, somebody asked my son once, what does your mom do? And there was this look on his face because he just assumed that everybody knows what I do. He just said, hmm, you, he asked, do you know? No, okay, she doesn't, she, they don't know who my mom is. So he's like, um, and he couldn't think of what I do. And he must've been about maybe 10 at the time. And the teacher was asking all the kids, what do your parents do? And they were all talking about their parents' occupations and what they would like to do. And he kind of, he said, can you come back to me, miss? And so they went round and came back. And I was like, hmm. And it, it took him a long time. He was having a good old think. But he said, she lives her dreams. And, and I think for me in that moment, that was like, what do I want for my kids? I want them to see me live my dreams in the hope that one day they will live theirs. And that's all I can ever want for my kids. Oh, I just could not possibly love that more. That is the greatest story. So happy that's what he said. It's time to spruce up your shoe game this spring, which means it's time to pick up a new pair of Rothy's. Yay! Ah, you know how I feel about Rothy's. They are the most versatile shoe in the world. And talk about comfy. I don't know how they do it, but they make Rothy's from recycled plastic water bottles. And they've managed to make the comfiest shoe I've ever owned in the most sustainable way. And another major bonus, Rothy's are fully machine washable. I literally took mine out of the dryer this morning. Just toss them in the washing machine. They come out looking and smelling good as new. Listen, if I want to feel just a little bit fancy, I slip on my leopard print Rothy's when I'm running out the door. I get compliments on these shoes 
every single time. I love them so much. Check out all the amazing shoes and bags and masks available right now at rothys.com slash for the love. That's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S, rothys.com slash for the love. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. I'm telling you, head to rothys.com slash for the love today. All right, back to our show. One question and then we'll wrap here. I'm thinking about my listeners right now who, when it comes to baking, and I know you hear this trope all the time that some of us are good at cooking, but we are intimidated by baking, that somehow it's kind of a different beast. So when I've got folks listening right now, one feeling intimidated a little bit around the idea of baking, what would you say if you had to reach for one or two, what would be your number one tip for beginning bakers, including maybe some idea. And then this is the appliance or the tool that you just have to start out with. If they're just, if they're starting from scratch, like imagine they don't, they think an oven is a cupboard. So what do you say to that person? I still can't get my mom to bake. She's like, uh, you bake. I don't need to bake. I was like, yeah, so, right. She's like, you make cake, you give me cake. That's fine. It's like, yeah, that works. I would say start small. And start making mistakes. There's nothing wrong with making mistakes. We must never. We must not live in a world where we say that making mistakes are a bad things. When you make mistakes, you learn. Get in there, start making mistakes. But if you don't want to, and you want a sweet treat, and you don't want to make any mistakes, get in there and make some rocky road. And if there's one appliance or what or one tool that I would say to get you started, get yourself a good set of measuring scales. You know, you want a good scale, you're pretty much good to go. That's great advice. It's so true. I learned how to cook by getting everything wrong. That's how I learned. Get it wrong. It's too hot. It's not enough salt. It's too runny. The next time you know. Okay, Nadia, we're going to wrap it up. These are just three like off the top of your head questions that I am asking every guest in the food series. We have amazing, amazing guests in this series. They're so fun. They're all on shows like you. And it's just delightful to talk to you. When you're too tired to cook, you're over it. You're done. You've been filming on day, whatever. And I don't mean takeout. I don't mean takeout a restaurant, but you're still at home and everybody needs to eat, but you're sick of it. What do you do? What do you reach for? Okay, so there's this like thing that my dad used to make when we were little and it's my go-to. So mashed potatoes, literally, I mean, it could be instant mash out of a packet. It doesn't matter. Happy with that. I love, like you take instant mash out of a packet, but you mix it with not water, hot milk, melted butter. And then to make it really rich and creamy, I always add a couple of tablespoons of mayonnaise because you get, oh my goodness, mayonnaise in mash is just like, do it. Put mayonnaise in your mash. It is out of this world. It takes it to somewhere completely new. Mashed potato, and then I pour tomato soup on top, and then you pour hot tomato soup on top, and then lots of grated cheese. That is my go-to comfort, comfort, all in a bowl, sit in front of the telly. I can't be bothered to cook meal. Okay. I'm absolutely fascinated. So I always put sour cream in my mashed potatoes, but mayonnaise, I'm doing that next time. I'm doing that. I'm going to send you an email. I'm going to tell you my exact thoughts on the mayonnaise mashed potatoes. Okay. This is the last question. And I actually ask all my guests this question and you can answer it literally however you would like to answer it. You can answer it in a serious, sober-minded way. You can answer it in a silly, ridiculous way. It's completely up to you. 
This is a question. What is saving your life right now? What is saving my life right now? <laughs> Locks on doors. Oh, man. Locks on doors. Mm. I say that, but I've always got a child knocking on my door saying, oh, no, it won't stop them from knocking, no. but it will stop them from just barging in. No. Yeah. So I now lock my bedroom door to go to the bathroom. So I lock locks on doors because that, that and just sweets. Like genuinely, whenever I'm really like having a dip in my day, I go for the sweetie jar and often I take the sweetie jar with me. Then I lock the door and say I'm going to the bathroom and sit with the sweetie jar in my room. Because what I'm finding right now is that it's really hard to find any time to ourselves, just like individually. And actually, I feel really guilty because... I feel bad that I'm looking for me time, but I do need it for my sanity just to spend a couple of, just like even if it's half an hour and the locks on the doors are really helping me because like sometimes I say, sometimes I even tell them, I think I'm going to go and have a nap and I don't, I lay in bed and I scroll through Instagram <laughs> and I don't like anything because they'll watch and say, oh, you're supposed to be sleeping. Why are you liking stuff on Instagram? I just do it. I love it. I lie. Lying is getting me through lockdown there you go that's the answer this is the perfect answer to revisit later when lockdown and quarantine and pandemic is over like the things that we were loving during this season were locks and lies that's what we needed that got us through like later these kids will go back to school and we'll go back to our workplaces but for right now when we're all in this together all the time 24 7 locks and lies that's what i'm walking away with and mayonnaise in your mash Oh, no. And of course that, that I will never forget that as long as I live. Can you please just tell my listeners as we sign off where they can find you, where they can follow you, what your handles are, and then maybe just like what it is you're working on right now. So I am on Instagram at Begum Nadia and Nadia Hussein official. So you can find me on those two. And you can find me on Twitter, Nadia Jamia Hussein. That's kind of mostly where I post all of my bits about what I'm doing. And you can also find me on NadiaHussein.com, which is my website. So yeah, I'm usually quite active on there. And I also respond to everybody. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I sit there wow. and, try and respond to as many people as I possibly can. So yes, so you can find me on social media. And I mean, I'm my Nadia Bakes is out in July in, in the States. So I'm very excited about that. And of course, Nadia Bakes is on Netflix right now. So yay! I'm cheering you on in every possible way. I'm so happy for you, proud of you. So it's so great to watch you go and to watch you shine and succeed. It's just absolutely fantastic. Thank you for making us happy. Thank you for bringing a lot of joy to us. And I think you're doing exactly what you're hoping you are doing. We are delighted listeners and readers and watchers. And so thanks for being on the show today. I'm so happy to have met you. Thank you. All right, guys, get thee to Netflix. If you are new to Nadia, you can watch her rise on Bake Off season six. And then you can watch her newest show, Nadia Bakes, and you will love her so dearly. She is really just a bright and shiny star. I loved what she said, not just about cooking. I loved what she said about life. I loved what she said about parenting. I loved what she said about failing and trying again. I just, she's a good one. She is a good one. And don't listen to what she said about Paul. He may not be her type, but he is 
everybody else's type. Oh man. He's got that dreamy face. Uh, it's really the eyes. I don't know what to say about it. If you don't know Paul on break off, just go Google it right now. And you'll see what I'm saying. Delightful. You guys, this series is so much fun. I am having the greatest time talking to the food people. You know that I am. And there's so much more to come. We have, we stacked this series with the best, the best of the best. And it's fun to talk about food after such a hard year. Do you know, we've talked about so many important things that matter and that count. I'm so happy that we can use our space together to host incredibly important conversations. And also it's so fun to talk about food and kitchens and gathering. It just feels nourishing after what has been a really long and a hard year. So more to come. If you have not already subscribed to the For the Love podcast, go do it. Go do it. It's just an auto download for you every week. You don't even have to work for it. It'll show up for you. And we are so happy to bring it to you week after week. So Laura and her crew and Amanda and I love, love, love you. We love this community. We love this podcast. And we love every minute of work that goes into it. So you're the greatest. You guys come back next week. More to come. You're going to love it. See you then.